I would encourage folks, and I told my constituents in the second district all the time to do this, you know, reach out to your electeds, reach out to other elected officials across the state, send them an email, send them a phone call and say, hey, you know, you got to give more money back to local governments because this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where the services are provided. Mayor Cavalier Johnson took office as acting mayor of the city of Milwaukee in late 2021. And in this role, he had one goal in mind, building a safer city, prioritizing violence reduction, economic development, and roadway safety. Before mayor, Johnson served as the common council president while representing the city's second aldermanic district. In April of 2022, Mayor Johnson was elected as the 45th chief executive of the city of Milwaukee, winning with more than 70% of the vote. He is the first black mayor elected in the city. Mayor Cavalier Johnson sat down with Tariq Moody for an exclusive interview to discuss his past that led him to becoming mayor, how our budget system works, and the importance of voting. This is Uniquely Milwaukee. It's everything you love about community stories, but more in depth. Giving the stories the time and attention they deserve. Changing perspective one episode at a time. I'm your host, Salam Fathayed, and this is Uniquely Milwaukee. Stories that stick with you. Talk about your first, first time you said to yourself and you saw an elected official before you were in, in political office. This is what I want to do. What inspired you to even get involved in, in, in the city and government? So two things happened that pushed me to this path, this, this calling. And it really found me. I was a 14 year old boy uh, here in Milwaukee. I was a freshman at Bayview High School. Before I got to be a freshman at Bayview High School, I was recruited earlier that year, this is back in 2001, into a pre-college program that was being run at the YMCA of Metropolitan Milwaukee at the time. The program was called Sponsor a Scholar and the program had two goals. One was to get young people uh, from low-income neighborhoods, low-income families uh, to go to college. Uh, And for many of us, myself included, we were the first people in our family to go to college. The other part of that program was to get those same young people involved in community service and giving back. So I'd wake up every single Saturday doing a service project somewhere, whether it's feeding the homeless or going to Easter Seals or, you know, doing any number of things, raking leaves, shoveling snow, you name it. And that was really important to me. I fell in love with the service aspect. I really did. Later on that same year, in September of 2001, obviously 9-11 happened. And I was not, uh, I didn't have the opportunity to, to, to be in the classroom and see the, the teachers roll the, the, the TV um, into the classroom to show the students what, were hap- what was happening in New York and Washington, D.C. I had this like queasy feeling happening during the time of the attacks to the point that I had to go home. And for me, I went to Bayview High School, so and I lived on 6th and Clark. It was a 50-minute bus ride to get there and a 50-minute bus ride back. And I love school. It was my outlet. And so, um, and so I had to leave. And so I left and I um, came home and I didn't know a thing that was happening. Uh, I walked into the house and I saw my mom and one of those images that's like burned into your memory, into your psyche. I walked in the house and I remember seeing my mom uh, sitting on the couch with her hand over her mouth just in disbelief about what had happened in New York in the World Trade Center. And 
as a 14 year old boy, I knew that I had to know what was happening, not just in my city, but in the state and in the country and in the world. And so then I started watching national news and starting to get abreast of, of those happenings. And then I saw President George W. Bush at Ground Zero, and he was trying to, in a difficult time, bring the country together. Um, and in my 14-year-old brain, I made the connections between the, 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 the public service that I was doing with the YMCA and this lesson of... of elected officials and high positions like that, bringing the community together, serving the, the, the public. Again, as a kid, at 14 years old, I said, I'm gonna be the first black president. This was in 2001, not 2008, so I didn't have no, I had no clue who, who Barack Obama was, but uh, obviously- How old were you in 2001? 14. Damn, I'm old. So that's what happened. That's how I knew I wanted to get involved this way. Talk about your first elected position. My first elected position? Um, well, before I get to my first elected position, I have to talk about the first two times that I ran for office and mm. didn't win. I ran for county supervisor uh, in Milwaukee County twice. I ran for the 10th district initially, and then I ran for the 5th district the year after. I was a young man. I moved around, but I lived in you know both of those districts, both of those neighborhoods in the past, or had family that lived there and you know was around in those places. The first race that I ran, and there were five people in the race. I came in fifth place. I got destroyed. The next year when I ran for fifth district supervisor, I think there were seven people in the race. I came in sixth and I got fewer votes than I did the first time that I ran for office. So um, it was not pretty. It was not nice. So talk um, about, let's stay on that for a second. Like mm-hmm. one, why that position? Mm-hmm. Why is that position attracted you supervisor? So for people that don't know, you know, they hear county supervisor. Most people I mean, I'm pretty. I'm gonna assume most people can guess what they do, but most people probably really don't know the the day to day responsibilities of county supervisor. Mm-hmm. Why did you chose that position? Uh, well, a, a couple of reasons at that time. One, being younger, and I guess probably even naive of sorts. My thought is that hey, here's an, an open opportunity in a in a neighborhood or neighborhoods at the time where I lived, and if I'm ever going to make my way into public office, then I need to seek the opportunity to do it now because at least at that time, my thought was that you know these opportunities don't come very often, and so you need to strike and you need to be able, you need to, to to find your way in. So that was compelling. But the other thing that was compelling too was my desire to get in and serve the community via elected office. And uh, as a county supervisor, you know, you'd have the opportunity, legislatively speaking, to be involved in the decision making on issues that are really important to citizens in Milwaukee and the county, the city and the county, um, be they you know issues around mental health, be they issues around transit. I just talked about the fact that it took me 50 minutes on the county bus to get from school, or get to and from school every morning. And then also, you know, issues around Milwaukee County Parks, which I enjoy even to this day with my own children now. So those are the things that kind of drew me in and, and wanted to be involved at the county level. But that didn't happen. And then I ran for a third time and I ran for alderman in a it was a different district, but again, I, I, my family had lived uh, in the neighborhood. My grandmother lived at West Lawn on the Northwest side in the second aldermanic district for more than 15 years. I had had, in the meantime, since losing those previous races, worked my way into government. I actually was here in the mayor's office uh, as a staffer. Um, and I remember the day I 
I packed my box up um, after losing two elections and I stood on the, the landing on the second floor. I looked back at the mayor's office and I thought to myself, geez, I'm taking a big risk. I made it to the mayor's office, but I'm packing my box up and I'm leaving and hoping that, you know, I go out there and bust my tail and get elected and able to do good work. And um, fortunately, we were able to do that and uh, was elected to be alderman in the second district. Uh, 2016, I was elected and the youngest African-American to be elected to the city council in Milwaukee's history. Uh, Went on to win re-election, of course, in 2020, also becoming uh, city council president at the time, too. And I feel really good about the work that we did as now, certainly there were a lot of challenges when I walked into the door, but um, I feel like we made a lot of progress working to engage with residents in the second district, having them to know who their alder person was, having them to know that their alderman cared about them. And let's jump to the mayor. For those who don't know, I mean, most people think mayor's kind of like the president of a city, mm-hmm. but the what, what happens under the hood? So talk about some of your top priorities as mayor that most people are not aware of. Yeah. So the things that I have been focused on um, in the mayor's office are working to make sure that we create an environment in Milwaukee that produces safety for our neighborhoods, that produces growth opportunities for our businesses, which will then create family supporting career opportunities for our residents, which will then lead to stability in our neighborhoods for our families, which gets us to the overall public safety that each and every single one of us wants. I I talked about having a city that was stronger, that was safer, that's more prosperous for everybody. And that's the sort of vision that I have for Milwaukee. And as I'm approaching, you know, my job, I, I look at you know these these critical areas that we really need to address in crime and, and public safety, in addressing the issue with the city's financial predicament and the, the the lack of revenues that we get from from state government, working on improving jobs and access to family support and careers, working to make sure that we are cognizant of issues around climate in Milwaukee, working to make sure we address issues around reckless driving and we're going to make sure that you know we have the housing stock necessary for the people who need it especially affordable housing and assistance for folks to purchase their own homes uh, in neighborhoods throughout the city do you want to know the secret behind the programming you love it's all funded by the honor system as a public radio station we're based on a very simple model We try to do something meaningful, connecting with you through music and stories. And then we count on those who appreciate what we do to show their support. Are you one of them? Show your support by visiting RadioMilwaukee.org and joining today. For every mayor, the city of Milwaukee puts out this document titled First 100 Days. And it's to track the progress of the current mayor, and in this case, Mayor Cavalier Johnson. The list includes promoted school safety through the Atlas One app, which is available to students and others to report and receive information about school-related violence, and created a style and substance initiative that engages barriers and stylists to take part in violence preventions. But what about our budget? How does that work? And where does the money go? Tariq Moody is on the case. Let's talk about budgets, budget season, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Explain the, if you how to say, can you explain the process to the average person without getting like, how how does the budget start like? Try to explain it like a budget one on one to the average person out there that says, I'm spending money on this 
nighttime parking permit. I'm not saying who that is. <laughs> and, and like my streets have potholes. I'm like, there's a lot of frustration and confusion where how the money works and where the money goes and how revenue happens in the city. Like, and that includes me, but a lot of people don't know the inner workings. Like they don't really understand that it's a really complicated system. So can you, to the average person that said that, like, hey, why am I paying my, why am I paying this nighttime parking permit? My roads are jacked up and where's the money going to? Earlier in the year, departments, city departments will uh, be reached out to by our budget office and say, hey, what are your needs looking forward to next year? And those departments will compile their information, say, this is what it will take for us to continue. This will take for us to start a new program that we may be interested in. And it'll be, you know, let's just say, you know, $20 million. Um, That department will have a presentation to me or the budget office will make a presentation to me and that'll be their requested budget. Mm -hmm. I might say, well, we're not going to do this. We're not going to do that. We can't afford to do this. We can't afford to do that. And so that $20 million for that department will go down to $15 million. You do that across all the departments and that's how you get to the mayor's Mm -hmm. proposed executive budget. Then after I deliver my budget presentation to the to the city council, which by law has checks and balances and can offer amendments to the budget that I propose, they will deliberate the budget all through the month of October. So there's going to be meeting after meeting after meeting on every single department in the city about what their budget needs are. And then later in the month, there'll be a, a, a budget amendment day. So Alders are able to speak with their constituents, consult with one another, and provide amendments to my proposed budget, shifting money around to pay for other things or taking money away from some other spots. And then in early November, the council will vote on the budget. So they'll, they'll pass a budget and they'll kick the budget. Since I'm the chief executive, I've got the power to review the amendments that the common council has made and accept them or reject them with a veto. And if I do veto anything, then that'll go back to the common council and they can override my veto if enough members find it appropriate to do so. That's you know sort of the, the, the mechanics around around the budget. Fortunately, this just this past weekend, community brainstorming came back uh, after having a hiatus since the pandemic. And uh, on the panel was uh, myself, was the county executive, was Senator LaTanya Johnson, County Supervisor Felicia Martin, Governor Tony Evers, and uh, State Representative Evan Goyke. And Evan Goyke, in his presentation, um, gave an outline about the city government's finances. Um, and not just the city of Milwaukee, but every local government's uh, finances uh, in the state of Wisconsin. Um, and so, not to bury the lead, he'll, he said, for folks who are upset about city services, don't be mad at Chevy. Don't be mad at you know Cavalier Johnson, <laughs> the mayor. That's my nickname. Um, he said, be mad at us in the state because we're the ones that control the amount of money that the city's able to raise or get. So there are basically three buckets uh, of funding that the city of Milwaukee gets. Um, One is property taxes. One is state shared revenue. One is fees for service and and, federal grants and things like that. And the fees for service include those nighttime parking permits, I'm guessing. Yeah, you can lump all that (laughs) stuff into the fees. So on property taxes, I can't even as my costs continue to rise, I can't 
raise property taxes as much as cost rise because the state government has a cap on that. I'm limited in the percentage that I can raise property taxes to the the aggregate of net new construction. Right. So when a new building goes mm-hmm. up, if that adds to you know one percent of new construction to the city, then that's how much I can raise the tax, the property tax by. So there's a, a cap on that. Unlike every other major city in the United States, Milwaukee is an is an outlier. We're on an island and that we cannot collect a sales tax or an income tax or anything like that. So think about when the Milwaukee Bucks, mm-hmm. right? When the Milwaukee Bucks are playing in the playoffs and you got all these people from uh, you know across the, the the country, you got big stars coming mm-hmm. in here, you got folks from around the state, you know other states coming in here. Um, they drive on our streets if they get into an emergency, they call Milwaukee police. Mm-hmm. Um, if they have a medical emergency, they call Milwaukee Fire Department, all paid for by local taxpayers. When they are buying their food, when they're buying their drinks, when they're buying their uh, sports apparel, all of that gets taxed. There's a sales tax, and that goes to Madison. Mm-hmm. It doesn't come directly to us. And Madison is supposed to, across the state, take all that money in, divvy it up, and send it back to the local governments and what's called shared revenue. That program has been stuck with funding levels from you know more than 20 years ago. I'm actually getting less money today in 2022 than I did than the city of Milwaukee did back in the year 2000. Think about that. The costs have gone up over time, and I'm getting less money than I, than what I did 20, 22 years ago. So that's a pot of money that mm-hmm. unfortunately just has not kept pace and then you know these other fees and stuff sometimes i can't even you can't shift those to collect more because the state only allows you to implement them to capture what it was that what the, what the cost was to deliver the service the things i hear is like the property tax only burdens a select yeah. group of people and the idea of the sales tax that kind of levels the playing field that people contribute to yeah. the cities yeah. And so basically, what do you tell, you know, election season's coming up. So they hear this from you. What 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 can the average person do? What can the average person on the north side, the south side, 53206, 53212 do to um, to help Milwaukee get the service they need and get it paid for? You know, one of the things I think is is important for folks to do like the legislators that represent folks in the city of Milwaukee, they understand the issue that we need more, that we need a sales tax option or an income tax option, but likely a sales tax, right? We need that sales tax. But in addition to that, we also need the opportunity to be able to have more of our dollars, our local sales tax dollars, um, to come back to Milwaukee so that we can fund the local services that we have, that we're providing to people all across the city. And so if you are a city of Milwaukee resident, you can contact your legislators at the state level, your state representative, your state senator, and let them know you appreciate you know their support for bringing resources back to Milwaukee. But if you if you're not a city resident, but you use city services, like you're a commuter who comes in from the suburbs every day to work, right? And you're worried about potholes, let's just say, um, the city's going to have a hard time investing in those things because we're not capturing your sales tax dollars when you drive on our streets and spend money here in this community. So they should also contact their legislators and say, hey, you know, the disinvestment that you're doing in Milwaukee has a direct effect on my quality of life. And for folks who 
has family or friends in other parts of the state who are likely represented by you know, Republican members in the legislature, in the assembly, as well as the Senate, they should also raise their voice and say, hey, the decision that you guys are making is negatively impacting our quality of life here at the local level. So I would encourage folks, and I told my constituents in the second district all the time to do this, you know, reach out to your electeds, reach out to other elected officials across the state, send them an email, send them a phone call and say, hey, you know, you got to give more money back to local governments because this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where the services are provided. And if we don't get the resources that we need, we're going to be in a position where we have to make really, really tough decisions uh, about what the future of services looks like in Milwaukee. It's interesting. So you're kind of, I was going to ask about, you know, the importance of elections and local government. You kind of explain, you know, most people see local government's not sexy, right? Mm-hmm. They don't see, you know, the, the things that go on, you know, the city plan commission or whatever, the zoning, like, that's not sexy. The, the Senate races, the presidential races, those ads, and you kind of, kind of showing, you know, it can be sexy. It can really has more impact than what happens every four years in 600 Pennsylvania Avenue. You know, you're the first black mayor, in Milwaukee, right? Um, when you got elected as first black mayor in a city that's, my dad always said, I'm surprised Milwaukee hasn't many black This They got a black mayor? Montgomery got a black mayor before y'all did, right? Um, what was that feeling like? And I mean, did you, I mean, what was your, when you first saw the 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 the, um, the votes come in and you saw it happening? What was your first emotion? What how did you feel? I, as I said before, I had the opportunity to serve in the mayor's office as a staffer some years ago before I decided to run for office myself. And uh, even though I had twenty four hours, seven day a week access to the mayor's office, I never sat in the mayor's chair. I never did because I told myself if I ever sit in that chair. It would be because I earned it. It would be because I I earned it because I went out there, I got the votes, and the people of Milwaukee believed in me so much that I got elected to be mayor. And so, you know, all those years later, I got to sit in that chair with that mandate to, to, to make a city that was stronger, that was safer, that was more prosperous for everybody and have the backing of uh, the citizens of this city. Uh, with 72% of the people in Milwaukee voting for me to, to do just that. It was an immense honor. Look, Milwaukee's been around since you know 1846 as a city, and the first I'm the first person who is not a European descendant man um, to hold that office. It fills me with a tremendous sense of, of, of pride, but also a tremendous uh, sense of of optimism for the future. I don't want to say burden. It's not a burden. A responsibility, I mm-hmm. should say. Because I know that people are looking uh, at me. Uh, Do you feel more pressure because of this? This, this You know, we're both black men mm-hmm. and you, I'm pretty sure your, your, your folks told you, like, we have to work twice as hard. Yeah, yeah. You know, once we get in the spotlight, they're putting a, a micro, an electron microscope. They don't put a microscope, they put an electron microscope on yeah. us and watch everything yeah. we do. Do you feel that too? Like, do you feel that pressure of being the first and knowing, you know, our foreparent, our parents, our forebears told us once we get into certain mm-hmm. roles, the first is not always <laughs> going to be easy. And 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 how do you 
And if it's so, how do you deal with that every day? Mentally, stressfully, how do you get up every day and like, I got it, you know, and deal with, you know, deal with the idea of knowing there are people that honestly want you to fail, yeah. you know, just being because of the skin you are in and the position where you are in. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm cognizant of that. That's a lesson that I think most, if not all, young black men and young black girls and a lot of and women, especially. Boys, and yeah. yeah, yeah, right. And boys and girls of, of color, generally, Latino, um, mm-hmm. Asian, like those are lessons that we get. Like you have to work twice as hard to get uh, half as much. You have to run twice as fast to get half as far. So you have to just just continue to outwork and outshine um, and just keep pushing. So you know, to me, I think about I think about who is watching me, uh, and not just the critics. And trust me, there are plenty of those. <laughs> but I think about you know who's going to come after me. Like I'm not going to be mayor forever, and I don't want to be the last African American or person of color to be elected mayor. So I think about when I was elected, my election night uh, party, and the first person that I got to interact with was a young black boy who who can now see his own reflection in the mayor's office, in the highest office in this city. You know, that's what, that's what is powerful to me. That's what, one of the things that keeps pushing me. The Wisconsin midterm election of 2022 is coming up, Tuesday, November 8th. Before you head to the polls, just as Mayor Johnson said, reach out to your elected officials to get your voice out on improvements that you would like to see in Milwaukee. I'm your host, Salam Fatayer. Thank you to Nate Imig, our executive producer. Kenny Perez, our audio engineer. Thank you for our marketing team led by Sarah Lar. Graphics on our wonderful logo is made by Aaron Bagada. And Dan Ryder handles our social media accounts. And a big special thank you to our city-loving members for making Uniquely Milwaukee possible. Tune in next Monday for our next episode.